Aloha and welcome to Elevating Motherhood. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Lori Beth Aldridge. I've taken my passion for conversation, perspective, and supporting moms and turned it into a podcast. My goal is to talk openly about motherhood, offer new ideas, and help moms find their confidence in this busy and sometimes overwhelming world we live in. We're going to dive deep, open up, and elevate motherhood. Thanks for being here with me. Let's get started. Elevating Motherhood is coming to life over on Patreon. I am super stoked to let you know I will be over there in our online moms group on Patreon, connecting with you and other incredible mamas. It is such a great space where we can have deep dive conversations about today's topic and every other topic discussed here on the show. I'll also be hosting virtual classes once a month for moms. I really take this whole lifelong learning thing really seriously and was craving connection and learning together with other moms. So I am bringing in speakers and creators and chefs and professionals and just all of these incredible people to teach us new skills and and share new information with us and inspire us once a month. There are already multiple classes that are up over there on Patreon and Evergreen. They're available for you to watch anytime in the Elevating Motherhood Patreon space. I hope you will join me for August's class that goes live on Friday, August 20th. Maui Mama and creator of the Let's Feed Them Plants Patreon channel is going to be sharing her top secret recipes with us for her award-winning vegan nacho cheese and vegan sour cream. They are incredibly delicious and you all know me, I am not a vegan, but I love this stuff. And I really appreciate the opportunity to creatively incorporate more vegetables into my family's diet. Sign up this month on Patreon and be entered in the drawing over there. There are currently four other classes you can take at this time, cooking, numerology, creative writing, and fascia exercises with new classes being shared every month. Go check out the details at patreon.com forward slash elevating motherhood. I love this ad-free, off-social-media, no-distraction space to connect with you and other moms. It's already been so refreshing and life-giving to be able to connect with you deeper over there. I'm excited for you to join us, patreon.com forward slash elevating motherhood. Today's guest wrote a lovely, inspiring book called Growing Slow, Lessons on Unhurrying Your Heart from an Accidental Farm Girl. I devoured this book. I experienced this awesome, serendipitous, blessed timing of reading this book right after the book from last week's episode with Ginger Stocky, Chasing Wonder. And mamas, if I could recommend reading any two books back to back, these two would be it. In Jennifer's book, Growing Slow, she addresses all kinds of issues mamas struggle with and provides so much encouragement for our insecure mama moments when we feel like we're falling behind or our kids might be falling behind or when we're struggling to find time for ourselves and even big moments when we're looking at our lives and realizing that, gosh, this is not what I really expected or planned and yet here we are. What do we do in those moments? 
Jennifer has some wonderful ideas for us about embracing the unexpected and really slowing down and thinking about those moments. In this conversation, Jennifer reminds us that all the little things are the mattering things and that it's okay to change, along with lots of other lovely reminders that will fill your mama heart. Thank you so much for being here for this joyful conversation. Jennifer Dukes Lee lives on the fifth generation Lee family farm in Iowa, where she and her husband are raising crops, pigs, and two beautiful humans. She writes books, loves queso, and enjoys singing too loudly to songs with great harmony. Once upon a time, she did not believe in Jesus, and now he is her CEO. Without further ado, let's welcome the slow in the best way possible Jennifer Dukes Lee to the show. Aloha, Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited coming to you from a farm in Iowa. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. I'll tell you, reading your book actually made me kind of nostalgic for the farm life, you know, like the Midwestern sort of farm life, because I was raised as a farm girl in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. So I get it. I get it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I thought about it. And then (laughs) I looked at my from Southern California husband. And I thought, you know, I just don't think I'm going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) You would have had an accidental farm boy. I'm an accidental farm girl for sure. I love that. I love that. And I love in your book, you talk about um, having a drive your tractor to school day in Mm -hmm. high school. Yeah. I had one of those too. Oh yeah. It's just filled with John Deere's on a- Absolutely. Oh yeah. On a random school day. Yeah, that's right. You got it. Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like they already know so much about you, but I'd love for my (laughs) listeners to get to know more about you in your own words. Sure. So I am Jennifer Dukesley and uh, my husband and I have two children, a college freshman and then um, a junior in high school. And um, yeah, about ready to have an empty nest, which seems really wild. And we live on this farm and it's a farm with 700 acres of corn and soybeans. And we have about a thousand pigs with us at any given time. And wow. so get this, they come on a school bus. Um, they, there's this emptied out school bus. All the seats are emptied out. And this old school bus backs up to the barn. And we have a chute that you, you know, the exit on the back of the bus. Yeah. And then the piggies oh come running down oh into the barns. They're so cute. And I'm like virtually no help with my husband when these pigs come because I just basically want to hold them all and give them all names. Right. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's my life. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I am laughing so hard because I cannot wait to tell my girls. Um, they are obsessed with pigs and they want them. And I could totally geek out on different pig breeds with you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then I also am laughing because I had a flashback to like fire drills from school yes. when we rode the school bus, you know, and <laughs> Well, you get to do that on the regular. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, oh, welcome to amazing. welcome to farm life for sure. And we we um, go to a little country church that's right out here, a mile from our home, and um, small town Iowa. Eight hundred people live in the town next to us, so people think you know Jennifer, you're officially in the middle of nowhere, and I guess that's probably true. <laughs> Wow. Oh, but I'll tell you, having been been raised similarly, it's a great lifestyle to give your kids. Yes, it is. It's an awesome upbringing for sure. Trying to recreate it on two and a half acres on an island. I'm trying. I'm trying. (laughs) That sounds so lovely. (laughs) I'm telling you. 
Oh my gosh. It's pretty fun. Your book was so fantastic. I loved it for all the farm details and the nostalgia for me in particular, but that was definitely not the entire point of the book. It just happened to hit home for me. I would love to know more about your writing process. Um, As a person who also writes, I know what it takes to sit down and really put together a book. And I love that at the very beginning of your story, you tell us that this book simply insisted on being written. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your writing process and what it was that led you to feel that way. And also, if you could share some information for the moms listening out there who struggle to find time to create, how it is you found time and motivation to write as a mom? Well, I have been writing. I don't know how to not write. I've been writing professionally since I was 16 years old. So it's so much a part of my life. And I can give some tips and ideas on how to work it into life as a mother. But to give you a little background, um, I was a, a I worked at a newspaper in small town Iowa when I was a teenager, and went on to study journalism, and uh, worked at newspapers um, Sacramento Bee, Omaha World Herald, Des Moines Register, covering crime and politics and all sorts of things. Um, wow. And then we moved back to the farm, and I thought, well, my writing is done because I don't know how to, I I wasn't a good journaler. I wrote for audiences. That was what I did vocationally. Um, And so I thought my, all of my writing career was blown to smithereens. Well, then blogs came out in uh, like 15 years ago or so. And then I did have this format and I liked to write about what was happening with our young children at the time and wrote on blogs every day. And then I started teaching journalism and then the craziest thing happened when I actually was approached about writing a book. And now I'm four books in and two Bible studies in. And, um, you know, every book is different. The writing process is different. And it depends on the stage of life that I'm in. News reporting was sometimes writing a story on the back of a checkbook blank because it's all <laughs> I had if I came across some story and, uh, you know, even calling it in on the phone. by deadline. Um, Writing a book is something else entirely. And it really involves blocking out for me, long periods of time, I think it would be difficult Hmm. to write a book um, without uh, big chunks of time. I know that some people write in like 30 minute increments here or there, but it takes me a good hour or two just to really get rolling with the writing. And so uh, with my first book, the, the kids were younger. And so I wrote it almost entirely after 10 o'clock at night. I wrote it between 10 and, 10 and midnight um, because I'm more of a night owl than an early morning person. So when I was, you know, when I had young kids at home, that was the only way it was going to get done because I couldn't do it, like coordinate their nap schedules in a way that would have given me effective kinds of writing. Um, it was literally just having to stay up and do it. Um, and I have to have some kind of quiet space around me now. And so I have my own little office in the corner on this farm and that's the way it works for me. Um, although it didn't used to be that way, I used to work in a very noisy newsroom. So I've had all kinds of writing experiences and all kinds of writing processes, but I don't know how to go through life, not writing. I, feel as if I live all of my life twice now. I I live it and then I write about it and essentially live it through again. And that's how yeah. it's been since I've, for as long as I've known. 
Mm-hmm. I love that so much. Yes. I, I guess I kind of forgot that element of writing, but that's what we do is we live our life and then get to experience it again. I feel like I get to do that with the podcast sometimes yes. by having these wonderful conversations and then slowing down and getting to listen to them again. And thank you so much on behalf of all the moms out there that just got permission to block out long periods of time for ourselves, <laughs> because it is basically essential and a secret ingredient, according to Jennifer. That's right. <laughs> and it is so hard. You know, sometimes it, it, our creativity must come in the in, in the times when kids are underfoot, it depends on the kind of creative yeah. process it is. But, you know, I remember when, um, when the kids were little, um, I led Bible studies locally and, um, it seems like my own study of the, the Bible study wasn't all that productive because there was always a kid needing, you know, Cheerios mm-hmm. or a boo-boo kissed or something like that. But what I see now is the value of having done those sorts of things in the presence of my children because they've adopted similar kinds of habits. And so whatever that looks like for you, if it's being creative uh, while your kids are watching, if it's cooking while your kids are watching, if it's doing a Bible study or reading a good book while your kids are near, um, there's something very valuable that comes later in life. Mm, thank you for that. I, I so appreciate the perspective of moms who have gone before us and can show us that. And sh- what a gift to be in this moment with children underfoot and another on the way. I mean, they're just all around me. <laughs> and and to know that the work that we're doing right now is super valuable. That's one of the wonderful, wonderful things that I, I garnered from your book as well. And you're right, it is important for them to see us doing these things so that then they don't have to do all the unpacking we do with all these cultural messages that tell us that you're going to get a badge of honor for being busy. And the busier you are, the bigger the badge. And I just, I don't know. I don't know. This whole process of slowing down is obviously the theme of your entire book. And you mention often in the book how countercultural this is. And I'm glad you keep pointing it out because I don't think it's enough to just say it once. I think we need these constant reminders of like, hey, what I'm about to tell you is going to feel counterculture. It's countercultural. It's going to feel like you're opting out of the mainstream. It's going to feel like you're going to get some pushback. You're going to have to fight some of your instincts or your training or whatever it is. That's making you feel like you have to go, go, go and be busy all the time. And there was one moment in your introduction where I actually cried because you wrote in the book, you know, I wrote this book because I got tired of living as if I'm afraid of being late to my own funeral. And apparently I've got some personal unpacking to do there, (laughs) but I get it. I I get what you were saying. And I think a lot of my listeners are going to get it too. Would you share some of what your realization looked or felt like? when you figured this out? Honestly, I could have more easily written a book called Growing Fast. Mm. I'm a high capacity person. I can feel like I've got to be the most responsible person in the room. Um, Enneagram three, all of those things that are, you know, kind of go big or go home, take it next level, push, push, push. Uh, It took a toll on me over time, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, I ended up in a doctor's office. And, um, you know, after a lot of different tests, uh, this particular doctor said, you don't have anything that I can give you a pill for, or a surgery for, you have um, a lot of stress that's taking a toll on your body. And I said, I know stressed out people, I'm not a stressed out person. This is just the way Jennifer is. 
But in fact, I was having actual trauma on my body from hurry sickness, which is an actual sickness that you can get that Uh affects sleep, uh, gut issues, anxiety, um, all of those kinds of things. And um, I had been told since I was very young, Jennifer, you just need to slow down. And that used to irritate me to no end mm-hmm. <laughs> because I wanted to say, do you have any idea what I have going on in my life? You don't, you don't get to say that to me. And so I understand how it can feel hard, like a hard word to hear that you need to slow down because it can feel like you're going to lose your edge or you're going to lose your job or you won't be as productive. But I'm telling you, hand to the sky, I am more productive now having Mm -hmm. adopted a growing slow mindset. It has made me more productive and more energized in my work and less stressed out about outputs and outcomes. And it's been, um, again, you use the word countercultural. And I did say that again and again in the book. And the reason being, Lori Beth, is that um, we all have this idea of what we want life to look like. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us want the same things out of life. And it's good to want to have a purpose-filled, meaningful life with people that we love, in places that we love, looking back and feeling some sense of accomplishment. So all of those, I think, are good goals. The problem is we think that in order to get that life, we have to chase that life down. But the yes. opposite is true. To get the life we want, we have to slow that life down and find that we are already living inside of some of the very things that we want and cherish most of all. So that is the countercultural piece of that. And for somebody to to decide to live a growing slow mindset, one must um, think philosophically about about that and flip the script, so to speak, and look at life a little Mm -hmm. bit of a different way. Mm-hmm. Amen to all of that. I hear you on going to the doctor and being this energized person. Um, I get told her, I get asked all the time, are you an Enneagram three? I'm like, no, I'm a seven. Let's party. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have something that you've, you know, done that you want to celebrate, I'm here for you. <laughs> That's great. Um, oh my gosh. And I went to the doctor one time, ironically in Canada. And I want to point that out because I really felt like this guy's notion was totally different than other doctors I'd been to. And I went because I had a rash on my neck. I mean, TMI, but there it is. I I looked like a lizard. And I was like, Oh, well, this is unattractive. I need to go get something for this. And I went and he asked me questions about my life. And he did not call it hurry sickness. But I now know that that's what it was. And he's like, well, I can give you a cream for that. But I can't give you a cream for your life. So you're Mm going to have to figure some things out. And I was a young mid 20s kind of person. And I was like, I do not know what you're talking about. I love my life. It's so awesome. It's so amazing. Thank you for the cream. Aloha, you know, (laughs) and went about my merry way. But that man telling me that about myself, and feeling like he wasn't right, I still questioned something in me questioned. I was like, he's not right. I'm so happy. I don't have stress. Like you said, I know Mm -hmm. stressed out people and this isn't it. But something nagged at me. Why did he say that? Why would he say that? This man doesn't know me. And is he right? And you know what? Gosh, 15 years later, I'm still thinking about that man who said you really need to look at your life. And thank you so much for pointing out the philosophical aspect of all of this too. 
because that is also countercultural. We're allowed to post philosophically memes and things like that on social media. We're allowed to, you know, parade around as deep, but it's not something that's necessarily accepted if we just live that way too. I mean, gosh, just this morning, I woke up and was at 3.30 because pregnancy insomnia, oh, it's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but thinking about all the things we have to do today and how busy this week is and how full and and all of that. And honestly, I thought, hmm, I guess I have a choice right now. I could cancel everything and say no and do all the flashy again, like what the memes tell you to do. Or I could think about every single thing that's getting ready to happen and if I can handle it or not, or do I need to handle it? Or do I need to think about it? Or can I hand some things over? And, and what opportunities do I have to find time for myself in all of this busyness? And where can I connect with my kids? And what feels important? And it was in that slowing down, taking, taking that moment, instead of being resentful of the fact that it was 3.30am, I got up, wrote some things down, thought a little bit, went back to bed, and I fell asleep. Mm. So instead of me being like, oh, this isn't right. This isn't right. I should be sleeping through the night. This isn't right. You know, I, I've got so much to be stressed about. Instead, I chose not to. I also thanked God over and over again for all the opportunities and just said, you know what? I am going to give it up and, and trust that you are not handing me more than I can handle. And I'm going to trust that there is a plan that I do not know about as to why all of these ducks need to be in a row this week, all at the same time. That's right. (laughs) And and double booked. But a lot of it is other people coming in and helping. And, And I don't want to overlook that because the world tells you, you should be stressed out because this is too much and it's too busy and you should just say no. Instead, I'm choosing to shift my perspective and say, actually, I'm allowing space for these helpers to come in. I'm grateful for them. And I'm just going to put it out there that I don't know why they're coming here at this exact moment in time, but I'm just going to trust the plan and I'm going to trust that they're going to get the job done. (laughs) There you go. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. All of that. Oh my gosh. And, And what you said too, touched on another quote from the book that I, I stopped and read it and reread it and shared it with a couple of girlfriends. On page 52, you say an unexpected life is not the same as a bad life. I read that and thought, wowza. Well, there it is, Jennifer. Thank <laughs> you so much. I think, I think so many moms can relate to this notion that our life is not what we expected because we are fed this script about what motherhood is supposed to look like and how we're supposed to react to it. So I hear you. I think we all hear you when you say that we need to take a look at this and realize that we need to slow down and we can't be summer girls all the time. And, you know, the more sensational, the better. Instead, Mm -hmm. slowing down and accepting this life as not a bad life, because I feel like everyone's life is really unexpected. So we understand this. But what's the first step in moving forward with this realization? Of the unexpected life. Yeah, that the unexpected life is not a bad life. Right. Um, A story to go with that first, and I'll tell you how it worked out for me. Um, This is my unexpected life. I am living my unexpected life. I told my family, I told myself, I told the good Lord above that I would never live in rural Iowa again. I grew up in a small town 
in one house my entire growing up years. I thought it was boring and the same. I wanted adventure. I wanted the city. I wanted a career in journalism. And I got all of that. I got all of that. And it was it was good. I mean, there were a lot of good things that, that grew out of that particular life. And um, then I fell in love with a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't a farmer at the time. He was a, a farmer's son. And um, they had a fifth generation farm here in Northwest Iowa. He went to Drake Law School to also get mm -hmm. away from the farm. And then we both felt a tug to come back. Unexpected for sure. We got married with mutual plans to be to end up in Washington, D.C. or New York City wow. or something like that. And now we live in a county where pigs outnumber people by a significant margin. <laughs> it's that kind <laughs> of a place. It's an unexpected life. Mm -hmm. And um, there was uh, early on moving here there, I questioned whether this was going to be a, a good life or a bad life. We made the decision to come and, um, we, here we were, and I was very lonely for the first many years here. Everybody was kind, but they already belonged in groups because, you know, it was tied to family and generations of friendships that had grown up around this place. And um, there was this moment when a photographer from the newspaper where I used to work, the Des Moines Register, came out and took our family picture to post with a farewell essay that I was running in the Sunday opinion section about moving back to rural Iowa. And um, we both had kids on our hips. Um, they were very young. Uh, we were in our uh, early 30s. And... Um, I kept thinking about that photographer and my colleagues, many of whom were saying things like this to us. Um, you are throwing away your potential. Uh, you're throwing away your education. Um, you were just about ready to be a real somebody. And now you're leaving to go back to the farm. Your career is over. And so looking back at that photograph, that is actually day one of my unexpected life. That is actually day one of growing slow. But on that day, instead of celebrating this great decision that we made for ourselves, I kept asking myself, what if they're right? What if I did make the wrong choice? What if we, we shouldn't have moved back here? What if I'll never get to write again? And it took me many years to start asking a different kind of question. And mm -hmm. that is, what if they're wrong, mm -hmm. because they weren't living the life that I was before. I was, and I was the one who was paying the price. And so that first step of trying to figure out how to embrace an unexpected life, sometimes it doesn't always come so easily or even quickly. Sometimes it happens over seasons and years. Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to grieve what has been lost it is okay to grieve broken dreams and plans, but at times along the journey, if we pause and look back to see how far we've come and how God was working in it all along, and sometimes these things can only be seen in reverse and they can't always be seen in the moment. And I think to just trust that, but to give yourself permission to acknowledge that it's hard when it doesn't go as you expected. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. And 
I guess it should have been obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me that the first step in growing slow is is growing slow. Like that's it. <laughs> it's a slow. It. It's a slowness into into slowing down, and it's true. And I feel like you just gave us so much permission to. Uh, not have this instant gratification or this instant sort of understanding of like, yeah, now I accept my life how it is. How it is. Jennifer and Lori Best said I should, so here I am. And to that, kids, here's some chicken nuggets. This is great. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's going to be different. It's going to be us thinking about it and pausing and, and thinking about it more and, and maybe getting curious and asking questions from a place of curiosity rather than that comes from inside of us rather than all the questions and the questioning that happens from people outside of us, even friends and family even That's right. who love us and, and all of that. My gosh. I mean, you address so many things in the book that speak to moms. And I know this wasn't a book necessarily for moms, but I love that you allowed so much of your motherhood journey to come through in your growth. So it wasn't like just Jennifer growing. And then also she was a mom. It was you growing in all aspects of your life at the same time. And and I was really struck by the chapter called falling behind. And I couldn't help but think, my gosh, falling behind. I feel like that is one of the most prominent fears in motherhood. Mm -hmm. And if that's not it, I don't know what is, but it's it's really common for moms to feel like their kids are falling behind or they're falling behind. I mean, especially in the homeschool world, my gosh. Um, but falling behind from what, I'm not sure most of us know, or if we know our what, for example, in homeschool, we're like, oh, shoot, I feel like they're falling behind the public school kids and maybe won't pass this test. Well, that's like a one size fits all answer that really doesn't apply to everybody anyway. And so sometimes when we allow these feelings of falling behind to come in, oh, I feel like it's just a big dark cloud mm -hmm. over us. So I love your suggestion in your book on page 66, where you say, tend to the things you know produce fruit, prayer, surrounding yourself with healthy people, sleep moments of stillness, your wellness and wholeness and well-being. And I was hoping that today you could encourage our mama hearts in this notion a little bit more. Absolutely. Well, it's true that we get this idea that we're falling behind. And you asked a good question there, like, where do we get this idea? How do we decide what falling behind is? Well, our culture has set up certain kinds of milestones along the journey of life as a mother, but even before we're mothers. So right now um, I deal with a lot of teenagers because my kids are teenagers mm -hmm. and so many kids are stressed out because they think they need to know what they're going to do with the rest of their life, what, the, what they're going to study in college or if they're going to go to college. And then I know college kids who are feeling the pressure to know exactly vocationally what they're going to be. There's always, or what they're going to do. There's always this focus on on what's next. And we all know, I just told you my story, what I thought I was going to be at age 18 is a lot different than what I was doing by the time I was 32. And so um, there's all these milestones. And then the next milestone is when I'm in college, I've got to find a spouse before all the good right. ones are taken. And then right. I've got to have kids by a certain age and another kid. And then boy, my a lot of my friends have a, a nice uh, 25 hundred square foot home. I need one of those. And oh, we got to upgrade to 5,000 square feet with two garages and oh, we need a lake home. And then we start to do it to our kids. When they yeah. start walking, when they start talking, 
Um, and, and school systems themselves are set up with all of these benchmarks <laughs> and milestones that are um, constantly nagging at us and weighing on us and create hurry sickness within mm-hmm. us. It's not just driving fast on a freeway that is a form of hurry. It is the hurry that we carry around our hearts because we feel like right. I should be further along by now. My kids should be further along by now. Somehow I'm messing things up. And so you asked me to encourage mom hearts in this notion um, of that they're not falling behind. And I would encourage mm-hmm. them by saying there are no set milestones. Mm-hmm. Despite what uh, people have told you and what you have lived by up until this point, there really are no set milestones, not for um, how many kids you have or how far along they should be in their reading. I mean, they'll, ca- you know, kids who ha- have zero, like very small vocabularies at age three can be some of the best readers by the time they're 10 years old. It's true. Mm-hmm. We hear anecdotal evidence of this all the time. So we know it to be true. So I think just to set aside the expectations and the milestones, knowing that um, if we're pouring into our children, with the things that matter most and the thing that God cares about most. And if we see our children really as fields in the same way that I look out and see farm fields, that we see our children as fields, that we are planting the seeds that will produce faithfulness and uh, gratitude and kindness and generosity and steadfastness and integrity. These are the things that matter. These are the mattering things, not what your major is going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. And knowing that by sophomore year college, but the kind of person you're not that you are going to be is what matters most. And that's mamas, that is what you're doing. And it is the mattering thing. Mm. Amen to all of that. My gosh. I mean, Jennifer, there are apps for this now. There are apps that tell us where we should be in our pregnancy, where we are, where our kids should be, where our babies are. And there are moms out there stressing themselves out because the wonder something or other app tells them wonder weeks. I think it is tells them, Oh, my, your baby might be having a sleep regression this week or, or maybe as, and can you imagine the millions no. of babies all fitting into that one app? And, you know, I don't think that they're like, steadfast, you know, about it and just say like, Oh yeah, this is every baby. And they're just kind of giving you general ideas, but that's not always how it's interpreted it interpreted. And it's because you're right. We have just had these milestones shoved down our throats. I mean, full transparency. I'm unpacking some of that for myself right now. Um, as a woman who's pregnant at 40 (laughs) with three little kids, you know, that's not the timeline that everybody else had. You know, I have friends that I graduated high school with who are, who their kids are now in college. Right. You're, you might become a grandma the same time that I'm (laughs) becoming. Okay. That's, Cool. (laughs) Send them my way. We'll talk. Oh my gosh. It just, and then homeschool too. You know, I'm doing it very differently and we're not doing it by milestones, if you will. And so I have, my kids are all very close in age. And so a lot of their lessons overlap, which means like we're in first grade and kindergarten with the two. And so the kindergartner can keep up with most of the first grade stuff. The first grader isn't quite finished with the first grade stuff. You start to get into all of these different second grade milestones and they assume that a child can read. 
well, what happens if you're following a Waldorf sort of thing where they're not really diving into reading until third grade, where those kids go from not reading to Harry Potter overnight. And it's, they're insatiable readers, you know, and like you said, there's anecdotal evidence over and over again. I mean, I know so many kids who do it that way too. It's just, but I, I feel like I'm having to unlearn all of that and kind mm-hmm. of rewire my brain to be like, okay, when September comes, it is okay if we don't start the second grade curriculum immediately. It's okay if we focus more on which child needs more attention in what subject area, or even like which one needs more encouragement to follow their passions. Man, it's really hard to write that down in a record form right. that is presented to you that says, here's what you should have, would have, could have been doing the whole time. Yeah, so true. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. Mamas yeah. face a lot. And there's just new ways to measure everything. And somehow oh, it all yes. comes back to, um, you know, did mama make or break it? And um, it can just feel like insurmountable pressure. But you know, I'm living on the other side of that now, uh, having launched one child and launching another soon. And I see now, Lori Beth, that all of those little things were the mattering things. Um, the late nights um, when I'm rubbing her back because she can't fall asleep, the harmonizing around the piano, the mm. m- getting messy in the kitchen together, the I'm just trapping them in my car so I can actually have a conversation with them. I mean, these are the mattering things. And this is what I care about most as I send my children out. And I want them to do great things for the Lord. I want them to do great things for for their fellow, fellow human beings. But most of all, I'm encouraged by seeing the fruit of who they are as people. That's so valuable. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you for that. And I'm want to take that in. And I really want to make that a part of our family values too. And I sensed as I was reading your book that that was happening, that it was happening slowly, but it was happening. It was me saying, okay, does it really matter if they all fall asleep in our bed right now? You know, the new baby's coming and this isn't necessarily going to be an option. And I don't think there's going to be room anymore. (laughs) There's a lot of people, you know, so why not tonight? You know, why not? And they all sleep peacefully and we move them. And my husband says, man, they're getting so big. One day we're not going to be able to do this. And I can't help but think it's going to be tomorrow. I know. know. Or we're just going to open our eyes one night and realize we can't pick them up to move them to their room. And we're going to be like, honey, you're going to have to wake up and walk to your room. Right. You know what? I mean, it's just going to pass by so quickly. So it does slowing down and realizing that those moments really matter. And the more reminders we have uh, of that, I know we hear it over and over again in podcasts and in books and all of these different ways, but we need it in every form. We need the farm metaphors. We need the moms who have gone before us. We need the moms who are in it and saying, okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm up here paddling anyway. You know, we're mm-hmm. going to, we're going to slow down and we're going to be present and we just need more of those reminders over and over again. And another super valuable lesson I gathered from your book was permission to change. Mm -hmm. I really feel like you handed me a permission slip and encouraged me and just said, you know what, you have permission to change just because you're having a busy week or last week was busy. You know, it doesn't mean you have to approach it the same way. Um, Just because your kid didn't get the lesson the first time and you're going to have to remind them again, doesn't mean you have to you know, deal with it the same way you did before. I just, we need more of that. And 
I love that you encourage us and tell us that we don't have to stay stuck or feel alone or stick to any pattern of sameness that is holding us back in our lives or in our motherhood. And gosh, I want to ask you about that first step too. Once we realize we have permission to change and we know this and we want to implement it, what what can we do? Change is generally how God works in us. Um, when okay. we have, the, yeah. <laughs> I mean, acknowledging if you're, if you're doing something in obedience, it, I mean, I suppose that he could tell you to stay. That's an act of obedience in and of itself. But quite often, an act of obedience looks like change. Um, and I think um, being willing to stay in the center of God's will and um, taking those steps um, despite what people think is a really powerful thing. So, um, I wouldn't have necessarily seen God's hand, um, in moving us to the farm in making that change because I just wasn't that developed in my faith. Uh, but I do know that he led us here despite the fact that I thought it was my own decision. But in any case, I really want to encourage people right now that it is okay to change your mind, to change your neighborhood, to change your job, to change your political view on something to change in your clothes, your habits, your, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's okay to change. Uh, and, and I think that is a scary thing because change involves possibly disappointing people or having people question whether you've lost your mind. And, um, it's very difficult to change when, uh, to continue with the farming metaphor, um, the harvest is near. So I was near a harvest that I did not stay for in the news business. And I could have seen that harvest. And instead I came to a new field where I had to plant new seeds. And that was scary, but only now years later, do I see the fruit. Mm-hmm. That was a wonderful, wonderful visual in your book that made so much sense in that whole permission to change and that you're like, but, but you have the degrees and you have the things and you had all the things and it was almost time for harvest. And you're like, and we're just going to go plant a new field over here. Right. <laughs> and There is the temptation to see that as failing. Um, There's the temptation for other people to speak into our lives from the outside and and say that we maybe didn't make the best decision. And I love that. Change is how God works in us. Man, that makes me feel so good about a surprise pregnancy and and rewiring like how we think about our life and how we're going to approach things and and again, it's that permission to really embrace that. And from the beginning of finding out, I knew I was like, oh man, we were too comfortable and we're being called to change. (laughs) And what are we going to do? Are we going to drag our feet? Are we going to kick and scream? Are we just going to be like, all right, party on, here we go. Let's, (laughs) let's rise to the occasion. I absolutely love that. And your book is just chock full of stuff like that. And it, and because as I mentioned before, you wove your motherhood journey into it, it really does speak to moms. So any mom listeners out there, this isn't going to be difficult for you to put your motherhood journey, you know, or see it through the motherhood lens. And, and one of the most wonderful parts of the book where I felt like you were speaking directly to the hearts of mom everywhere, moms everywhere was page 173. And if you don't mind, I'll read just this excerpt right here, because I want my listeners to know how you're speaking to us and how you're encouraging us. And this is one excerpt of a book that that just does this over and over again. But on page 173, you say, as a mom of young children, I sometimes wondered, what if this is as good as it gets? 
What if my ordinary life, returning library books, folding clothes, running errands, doing life with the same people, eating the same crockpot meals on rotation is as good as it gets? What if the tangled mess of muddy shoes at the back door is as good as it gets? What if the fingerprints on the windows are as good as it gets? What if the size of my waist is the smallest it will ever be despite my best efforts? What if the bank account has already reached its largest sum ever and it's all downhill from here? What if this is all as good as it gets? Because it might be true. This could be as good as it gets, and it also could be more spectacular than I ever realized. Now that I've been intentionally moving through this growing slow journey, I see it. I see in hindsight that I what I couldn't see in real time, the fingerprints, shoes, laundry, my quirky bunch of friends, shout out to all my quirky <laughs> bunch of friends, my flawed family, my skin, the just enough grace for every single day. Together, they become the sum of a beautiful story that stretches across my little time in history on my little patch of land. All those moments, though seemingly small at the time, were building a foundation for who I would become. Oh my gosh, Jennifer. Mm. So, so, so good. In that passage, in that part of your book, talking about winter, because you also do this brilliant thing of bringing in the seasons and Mm, acknowledging all of that. And we need that. We need that. We need that. Uh, We talk about seasons and how we're encouraged to be summer girls all the time Mm. here on the podcast and how it's just not true. There are actually three other seasons. and, And this is from the winter section of your book. And it felt like to me, you were saying that we don't have to be out of a certain season, like the hard young years, in order to see that it is serving us, that we can find peace in a grow slow mindset, even in those seasons. Is that the message you intended to get across? Absolutely. I love how you said it. We don't have to be summer girls all the time. Um, I have always wanted to be a spring, summer, and fall girl. I love planting seeds into people and businesses and ministries. I love seeing good growth and harvest. How fun is that? It's to so see fun. that fully ripened thing in your hand yeah. or to see something that you've dreamed about for a very long time coming to pass. What a beautiful thing. And then comes winter. And so honestly, when I wrote this book, I had about six chapters for spring, about six chapters for summer, about six chapters-ish for harvest, and I turned in two chapters for winter. (laughs) And I told my editor and my literary agent, I am not going to do any more chapters on winter because I have nothing left to say. And because people don't want to read about winter is too depressing, and I don't want to end my book on the winter note. Well, as you can imagine, they said, Mm-mm, no, that is not going to do. You're going to have to dig. You have more to say about winter. Oh. And I ended up writing a chapter, well, uh, several chapters, but I ended up writing a chapter that is probably my most meaningful writing experience of my entire life. And that even in the midst of writing the book, I was learning how I do not winter well how I constantly want to be in cycles of plant, grow, harvest, plant, grow, harvest. Mm -hmm. And if one fourth of a growing season on a farm is winter, when it looks like nothing is happening, when it looks like everything is cold and dreary and unproductive, what does that say about me as a person? If a farm needs to rest, maybe I do too. And um, that can be a hard word to hear because it can be difficult to look around and feel like everybody else is in a summer state of mind and things are looking up and going well. And it feels like you look around at your unproductive life. But 
I, I really spent a lot of time on those winter chapters then because I wanted to help myself mm-hmm. and my readers see that winter is not something that must be endured, but it's something that can be treasured. And, and mm-hmm. God will use winter seasons to grow us. There's a very beautiful thing that happens in land in winter. And it's related to um, rocks that appear in fields. When mm-hmm. I was a little girl, a farmer would come into town and he would round up a bunch of us kids and we'd go out to his fields and pick up rocks. And there were thousands of them. And, and we called it picking rock, like as if there were just one. I'd have no idea, but it's called picking rock. Mm-hmm. And um, the next year we'd have to go out and do the same thing. And it's not like there was some rock fairy dropping rocks on the fields. But what was happening is this. Winter was doing its work. In the frost-thaw cycle of the land, stones emerged to the surface. And we had to get out there and remove them because if we didn't, the farming equipment could be severely damaged. The same is true of us. In winter seasons, we discover that we have stones long buried in the soil of our heart. And winter seasons give us an opportunity to allow those burdens within us to emerge and to allow God to pick rock in our hearts Mm -hmm. and with us to carry those burdens to the foot of the cross. And it lightens the load and it uh, helps our spring planting because we don't want to hurt the equipment. If we continue to hold on and carry these burdens with us for the rest of our lives, we will not be able to plant, grow, or harvest well at all. We will end up damaged, burdened, in pain, and shame that we never really Mm -hmm. took time to get rid of. And so this is an opportunity. Wintering seasons of our lives give us an opportunity to examine the soil of our heart and do the work that it takes to remove these burdens with the Lord and take them to the foot of the cross. Mm, So good. And I can't help but think I'm having a winter baby. And Mm. from the second that I found this out, because I have, you know, summer, fall and spring babies, and now I'm going to have a a winter baby. And it definitely, I have some moments of uh, wondering, um, you know, the metaphor of the seasons and all of that, what that looks like. And I have had a couple moments in this pregnancy where I feel like my baby's picking rock down there, just so you know, like bringing up some stuff um, that, you know, to deal with it. But how wonderful, what a wonderful opportunity. And the details of that too, that you share in the story and how you share it are really fascinating. And thank you for going deeper then into winter and encouraging us in that way. Wow. So good. I mean, uh, and for people who are just dead set on production, I mean, there it is. Even winter is productive, even when we're resting. You that's know? a so good if point. Like, <laughs> if that's the invitation you need into winter, there it is. <laughs> there you go. I love it. Well, what does growing slow look like for you in this season? For me, um, a few of the practical things that I'm doing right now, and really ones that I adopted early on in my own growing slow journey, are things that you could actually begin to do um, starting tomorrow. And um, the very first one involves food. I don't know mm. if you've heard of the slow food movement. It was born in the 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a push against fast food. And it was yeah. really an emphasis on artisan production and enjoying the flavors and all those sorts of things. And slow food is not the same as fancy food for me because I'm not a fancy gourmet cook. 
But here is what I learned. I was a fast food girl, even in my own kitchen, in the sense that I would eat so quickly, I wouldn't even taste the food. Mm -hmm. And um, I often wouldn't even sit down if nobody was here to share a table with me. And so maybe sometimes um, lunch was a cheese stick on the run and then maybe grab a couple carrots and then right back to work. And what a shame that, um, you know, God created food, right, as this Mm -hmm. gift and it has taste and he gave us taste buds. He could have made people that they just get like some kind of a shot or eat some kind of a you know, bland cookie that nourishes them all day. But instead, he, in his creativity and wisdom, gave us taste buds and great tasting food. So eating slowly and letting yourself taste flavors and see how they mingle is a huge growing slow practice. And even in it, you will begin to have a greater appreciation for the, the what's in your fridge and mm-hmm. what's in your mouth and how that is coming into your body to give you energy and do the things that God has called you to do. So that is a very intentional practice that I um, take part in. Another, uh, and that I always do every day, if, if the weather allows, is to um, take a daily walk in my yard, in my neighborhood, down the country lane, underneath the ash trees, and out into onto the country roads. Now, I don't know what where people live, and it may seem like a boring, ordinary place, but I think there's beauty uh, right where you are. And if we mm-hmm. don't take time, and for instance, if I don't thank God for the beauty in my own backyard, well, who else will? Because no one else is back there. Right. It's just me. It's just yeah. our family. And so let's take the mo- take these moments to grow slow right in our own yards and communities. And I have never once come back from one of those walks and thought that was a waste of time. And now I'm 30 right. minutes behind. It's right. always life giving for me. Yeah. So I think just to find, you know, for any of us to find practices that s- sort of bring down the heart rate and, uh, stop the racing thoughts and just enter into the the whole of ourselves and pay attention to our bodies and our breathing and the goodness of God around us is, is a great place to start for growing slow. Mm, I love that so much. And I hope we get to eat food slow together one <laughs> yes, day. I because, would love it. Oh my gosh. I, I'm so encouraged by hearing somebody else say food is amazing and tastes good and you can have this whole experience. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I feel the exact same way. And I think in our like crazy diet culture, people say you either eat to live or live to eat. And I'm like, well, if that's it, then sign. I don't know. Is there like a middle category? Because <laughs> I feel like it's kind of both. And oh man, the meals that I prepare for my family and take the time to cook. And instead of seeing it as a burden, as like a connection to my grandma, you know, using yes. some of her recipes. I just made some cream limas last night. My husband walked in and said, is this grandma Huck's recipe? And I was like, well, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'm learning. I'm going to have to call her tomorrow because I think I made a few mistakes. But oh, just so many wonderful opportunities to connect um, and be present with the two things that you mentioned. And those are totally doable. Totally mm-hmm. doable. Absolutely. I really appreciate. Oh my gosh, there's just so much I appreciate about you, Jennifer. And I wanted to point out something like as an author, a lot of times at the end of my author interviews, I would actually ask um, 
these women, you know, okay, what's next for you? What are you working on next? And, and now after reading your book, I thought, no, 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 I don't think that's it. I think that they just spent all this time and energy writing a book and producing it and talking about it. Why can't they just sit with that in that glory and that success and all of that for a while? And honestly, where do we need to go from growing slow? It feels like a lifelong practice. And if that's the one that we latch onto and practice, man, how well it will serve us in our lives. Oh my gosh, Jennifer, this has been so fantastic. I know my listeners are going to want to connect with you more. Where can they find you? You can find the book at growingslowbook.com. And then I'm Jennifer Dukesley everywhere on the internet, whether that's my website, my Facebook, my Instagram, and I'm usually in on, on my socials almost every day encouraging people right away in the morning with something I'm learning or something that made me laugh. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love, I love your Instagram. I will link Thank you. to all of those in the show notes. Jennifer, you are such a gift. Your book is a gift. This interview has been a gift. Your message and the way that you speak life into moms. I just can't thank you enough. Jennifer, I really appreciate you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Elevating Motherhood. Thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found some insight and inspiration, or maybe a little of both. If you liked today's show, please leave a review on iTunes. I use your feedback to plan future shows and cover topics that serve you. You can also connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Links to those accounts are in the show notes. For more information, including today's show notes, head to elevatingmotherhood.com. That's elevatingmotherhood.com. Thanks again, Mama. I appreciate you.